Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm Nikki Eisenhower, your host, life coach, and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing healthy versus toxic emotion. So I wanted to break down some tough emotions. These are emotions that I talk about all the time on the show, but I thought it would be good to pull them together and just look at what's toxic to be able to let go and cultivate what is healthy. Because all of our emotions are healthy, believe it or not. I know there are some that you don't want to feel, you don't like feeling, and you might cringe or give me a little bit of side eye. When you hear that all the emotions are healthy, even the super funky ones. So let's look at anger for a moment. So what's healthy about anger? Well, when we feel anger, it really is like a signal. It's like a fire alarm going off that screams, boundaries are needed, boundaries are needed here, boundaries are needed. And that is a good, necessary thing that helps us shape and navigate life and our world. Now, anger is usually the very first thing that starts to poke us towards giving ourselves permission to really begin boundaries work. Most people don't invite boundaries work until they're so fed up and angry that that becomes the catalyst to allow themselves to start to be different in terms of boundaries. Anger challenges us to learn the word no. Anger challenges us to see no as an essential ingredient to being able to say yes to self and to life with more vigor, more vitality, and more life force. Anger is there to help us stand up and own ourselves so that life and life's people don't suck us dry. Okay. So if that's what is healthy about anger, what's toxic about it? How does it go from healthy to toxic? Well, and for this one, I want to say, where are my people pleasers out there? Because when you get angry, let's say, because someone asked you for something or asked you to do something, do you notice what that anger is? 
It's as if that anger is saying, ooh, you are not getting out of this life without learning to value yourself and say no. I'm giving you the opportunity right here to learn this. Make a choice. Make a choice. If you go into that same old pattern of behavior, you're going to be more angry. So dysfunction says yes, and people pleases others to your detriment. Another way that anger becomes toxic is when the feeling, the emotion of anger, turns violent or harmful to self or others. When the feeling of anger moves from feeling an emotion to story in your head that cuts you down or cuts somebody else down or to behavior that is violent or aggressive, this is where anger leaves healthy emotion and turns toxic. So many of you out there have been to therapists, all kinds of therapists, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And lots of therapists often suggest angry letters. And I know many of you are chuckling right now because you're thinking right now, yep, my therapist has tried to get me to write some angry letters and I've resisted. But we suggest angry letters that are never intended to be sent as a container to catch the anger, to hold the anger. A letter or a notebook becomes a place to put it. If we don't intentionally release anger, I often say that it comes out sideways. It comes out passive aggressively toward others or aggressively towards others. And for the sake of mental health, I believe it's incorrect to say that words are violent. And that concept that words are violent makes all this emotional stuff more confusing to learn and unravel versus easier. So for the sake of mental health, when I'm talking about violence, I'm really talking about physical behavior. That angry words with the intent to hurt or to cut down are aggressive language, often suggestive of physical violence. And why am I making this distinction? Why do I think it's important? Because we have to give ourselves permission to release anger so that it doesn't become toxic. So if we're saying that our thoughts are violent and wrong, shame, shame on us, bad, 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 it's much more difficult to give ourselves permission to release them in a healthy way. So having the thoughts are not toxic. It's releasing those thoughts at other people like weapons or at ourselves like weapons. That's what becomes toxic. It's incredibly important for not just everybody to understand this, but for passionate people. And a lot of you listening to the show are passionate, highly sensitive people. So when we're passionate, when we're highly sensitive, we are going to feel things with a lot of intensity. So if we're in anger, it's going to be intense anger. And I don't want you thinking that just because you're having intense anger that something's toxic about that. It's not. We need permission to release and permission to relate to our anger in some new and refreshing ways so that we can feel positively about our efforts to release what feels so funky and dark. So when a therapist suggests or a coach suggests writing the angry letter, 
it's often preventative so that that anger doesn't come out sideways to hurt my partner or to lash out at one of my pets or to lash out at myself. So that letter is preventative as much as it is releasing and reparative. It's often been said that depression is anger turned inward. So there's lots of application. There's lots of benefit to learning what to do with these emotions that feel so funky that we resist allowing ourselves to feel, which paradoxically only brings more of the feeling that we're resisting. If you've ever heard someone say, what we resist persists, that's what this means. So what I'm advocating for in this episode is to not resist the funky, difficult emotions, rather to learn where to put them and how to put them so that you can move through them with more ease and create less chaos, less hurt feelings inside of yourself and interpersonally in our relationships and how we relate person to person. All right. The second emotion that I have for you that that's a doozy. None of us like feeling this as sensitive people. Guilt. You've been hearing me, if you keep up with the show, you've been hearing me talk a lot about guilt lately, specifically how to separate guilt from empathy. So what is healthy about guilt? Well, guilt is our moral compass. It's kind of a guidance system. It assists us in relating to other people over time and ourselves. It tells us when we did something wrong so that we feel badly so that we'll correct it. So guilt is really good for relationships. Can you hear that? As long as it's in balance and it's used healthily. So when does this guilt begin to become toxic? It's the moment when we allow guilt to start growing into shame. Guilt is about, oops, I knocked over this milk. I made a mess. That compels me to clean it up. Shame is, oh my gosh, I'm such a crap person that I knocked over this milk. So guilt becomes toxic when we don't know how to release it appropriately. And since it's stuck inside of us, it has nowhere else to go except to go to the head and create a story about guilt and shame that supports us shutting down, withdrawing from life. Because if I'm so terrible, if I'm so filled with shame, then I'm going to withdraw from efforts towards wellness or wholeness because I'm not going to believe that I deserve such efforts. This is also where martyrdom grows. Woe is me. Life is against me. Victim mentality. We really need guilt, you guys. Low to no guilt people are either narcissists or have antisocial personality traits. Our common vernacular calls those people sociopaths. And those types just mow people down guilt-free. They just use and abuse and move on. They don't really blink an eye. So guilt is this really healthy human thing. It's just that if we grew up in a family with a lot of dysfunction and chaos, we feel too much guilt and we have not been taught where to put it. And dysfunctional people, because they don't hold their own guilt, as highly sensitive people, we are at risk of absorbing theirs and holding guilt for them that they don't feel, doubling down on our own guilt experience. So this is a very important emotion to learn how to manage, to learn how to flow through with greater ease, even though, yes, it's going to feel sucky at times, but this is the human condition. All right, next emotion, 
fear. All right, what is healthy about fear? There's this great book. If you've listened to all the episodes, you've heard me mention it before. It's called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. And this was a very, very important book in my life. Believe it or not, my own mother gifted it to me. I read it, and then I confronted her on the fear I had always felt about her. So this book began no contact with my own mother. This book taught me that healthy fear keeps us from allowing ourselves to be hurt. Healthy fear indicates where we have some natural boundaries. So if a baby crawls to the top of the stairs and looks over and feels a little wave of fear, good deal. We want that baby to feel that, right? That's what keeps that baby from tumbling down the stairs. That's that baby's internal sense of healthy fear that guides permission to go to a place and guides disallowing going to a place where hurt can happen. Intuitively, fear doesn't feel scary to me. Intuitively, I believe my system processes fear as just nope. So in my baby self, if I imagine myself crawling to the edge of those stairs, it wasn't a story of how terrifying or how hurt I might get if I fell down the stairs. It's just an intuitive nope. So it's simple. It's grounded. It's a very, very simple no. That's how my fear shows up intuitively, healthily. So what's toxic about fear? Well, when we haven't been taught how to deal with all of our feelings, much less the things that happen to us, we start to have an overabundance of fear. And that overabundance of fear, that too muchness of fear overwhelms and sort of drowns out our life, our life force, our zest for living. Toxic fear gives us permission to retreat because it's scary or it's hard. Toxic fear gives us permission to be shut down, to hide, to play small. Toxic fear invites us to be passive because we're too scared to confront. So toxic fear ultimately results in giving a whole lot of our power away. We disempower ourselves when we are allowing ourselves to live inside of fear instead of identify it and move through. Toxic fear can be particularly difficult when it's paired with people-pleasing because this is the very thing that makes it very difficult for us to show up for ourselves in self-respect when there are others around. Life can result in a constriction and it's in experiencing less, which is so unfortunate because we learn from experience. We learn from moving through. We learn from fumbling and finding our footing. And fear toxically says, uh-uh-uh, don't even try. Avoid all of that. Stay small. Stay in the box. And that's depressing over time. That's a lackluster, flavorless way to live. It's toxic to give too much power to fear. And fear likes to breed a state of confusion, which just keeps us lost. And that keeps us stuck in the fear. Fear is very much like a gremlin that wants to be fed. And convinces us that it's very smart to feed them. 
This is very different than learning how to deal with the fear and shrink the gremlins and put those gremlins in their place. I never want to let the fear gremlins drive the bus of my life. I want my intuition to drive the bus of my life, but not my fear. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about pivotal moments in history? If so, then try my new podcast, Calm History. It's a time machine of tranquility filled with immersive and fascinating stories from history. Prior episodes include The Pilgrims, Marco Polo, Henry Ford, Joan of Arc, Jackie Robinson, Klondike Gold Rush, Ancient Greek Olympics, Easter Island, and the Great Pyramid of Giza. There's also a six-part series about the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. All right, I want to talk a little bit about sadness. What could possibly be healthy about sadness, right? But think about it for a minute. What is sadness? What is it? To me, sadness really shows us our attachments, our attachments to people and our attachments to story. Sadness acknowledges connection because we feel it in disconnection. We feel sadness when we lose or we don't get what we want or what we expected. We feel sad when we don't get what we believe we deserve or what we worked hard to achieve. Sadness is related to grief, to loss. So when we lose, it really shows us what we had and can encourage us towards gratitude in the future. What's toxic about sadness? When we don't know how to stop and acknowledge, I am sad. That sadness has nowhere to go except to the head. So when that sadness goes to the head and gets stuck there, we wind up creating a sadness story that feeds the gremlins of depression and it digs the hole deeper. Believing sadness will stay with us endlessly is very toxic and terrifies us. So in that moment, we go from just feeling sadness to the story also inviting fear. So then we're in fear plus sadness, just digging that hole, digging that hole. Often what's toxic about sadness is not just allowing sadness to be sadness. Because depression is such a common word now and has been for about 20 years, I will hear so many people tell me, oh, Nikki, I'm depressed this week. No, you're not. We have to stop using depression and sadness interchangeably. If we don't stop doing that, we wind up saying to ourselves, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, this is depressing, when we're sad. That is not what we want to reinforce, y'all. We do not want to subconsciously program ourselves that we are depressed. If words are spells, we don't want to cast that kind of spell. So what's toxic is mistaking sadness for depression and then reinforcing that depression in mind, body, and spirit. Loneliness. What is healthy about loneliness? It is a major concern 
for highly sensitive people. Well, what's healthy about loneliness is that it's an opportunity to become our own best friend, to really partner with ourselves, to work on not just loving the self, but liking the self or doing the work to change what we don't like so we can like and partner with ourselves. And when we have other people around, part of why we want that, even those of us that are very, very introverted and like our alone time, we are distracted from ourselves. That's sometimes why we see people who are very relationship addicted and they jump from relationship to relationship to relationship and the relationships look similarly chaotic or similarly dysfunctional. It's because as human beings, when we're not dealing with our real core stuff, we're masters at distracting ourselves. So when we're alone, we have no such distraction. So often the gremlins poke up like, nope, no, nope, don't figure out anything about me. Be real upset about being lonely. Feel like there's a problem there. So what's healthy about lonely, before I get into the unhealthy, is that we have the opportunity to learn to value our solitude. We have the opportunity to learn to trust that the universe is carrying us. And that it's okay that we can't just go to the friend store, to the people store, and pick up some good matches for us. But we learn to trust that there are billions of people on the planet. So that if we want to engage more people, we can certainly do that and come from a place of strength and of personal power and lifting up. Loneliness gives us an opportunity to process through and understand ourselves with compassion Because one of the things that we're all tasked with learning as highly sensitive people, in my opinion, is that friendships, relationships in this lifetime, they evolve or they die. And as we grow and change, that is the natural order of things. That's not something bad that you're doing or making happen or that's not some flaw inside of yourself that is creating this punishing loneliness. There's nothing punishing about the loneliness. We can also learn that there are many, many tribes in modern life for us to explore. We can visit, and some of those communities, some of those tribes, we can decide to join for short term or for long. So what's unhealthy about loneliness? Again, and I hope you're catching the theme, that when we don't know how to acknowledge and move through that feeling, that feeling goes to the head creates a story of forlorn brokenness, of proof of damage. Unhealthy loneliness invites and massages desperation, terrifying the self of endless isolation. Toxic loneliness allows lonely to mean fatally flawed and is self-cruelty in action. So what are we supposed to do with these emotions, really? And that's the thing. They're called feelings. So what do we do with them? We feel them. And if you want to throw a pillow at me right now, (laughs) I get it. But this is how our consciousness, this is how our smarts makes things way more difficult than it needs to be. It is as simple as what are we supposed to do with feelings? We're supposed to feel them. So here's a visual that might help you get there. That question of what are we supposed to do with all these emotions, it's kind of like me saying, what am I supposed to do with the gutters on my house? What am I supposed to do with these gutters? Well, I'm supposed to let them 
do their thing, right? I'm supposed to let them collect the rainwater or the snow melt and allow them to guide the water away from the foundation of the house. If that water doesn't get far enough away from the foundation of the house, it will damage, it will weaken the ground underneath the foundation of the house, creating a sinkhole-like situation, making the ground underneath the foundation of the house very unstable. So my job as the keeper of the house is to make sure that the gutters stay clear by giving them proper attention, not too much, They don't need to be cleaned out every month and not too little, but it's my job to maintain them, to clean them, to clear them as needed. It's the same with emotions. We feel them. We learn to let them do their thing without blockage, without thoughts that thwart their flow so that the difficult emotions can melt can work their way down, through, and out of the psyche, out of the body, just like my gutters do for my house. The beautiful part about this work is that the emotions that used to scare and overwhelm us cease to do so when we build a healthy relationship with our feeling emotional self. I'm no longer scared of these feelings coming Because I trust myself to use the emotional gutter system that I've put into place over the years. If my childhood felt like living in a home with no roof, in a place that gets powerful hurricanes, with all of the weather raining down, then I want to gift my own adulthood with a strong watertight roof and gutters that take care of all of life's weather. Because life throws some crazy, unpredictable weather, doesn't it? And isn't it lovely to know that we can have a gutter system that puts all that heavy water and rain in the right place? Do you know that you can even set up gutters to collect the rainwater? And then that water can be used for other purposes? To feed livestock, to feed a garden. Isn't this an awesome idea? That the stuff that we maybe fight with the most, the stuff that's the most difficult, when we start to really look at it through a different lens of, hmm, what else might I do with this? That we can transform that which once held us back into something that can now bring us forward. Because emotionally, what felt like a dangerous, powerful, unexpected storm, isn't it beautiful that that same storm can wind up fueling and feeding? the food of my soul, and help me grow right into myself? This is one of my favorite things in working with people. Getting to witness this shift from intensive overwhelm in the emotions that we resist to accepting the stuff that life throws as the fertilizer of our lives, as the food of our lives. This is where and when life gets easier. Because that's a big question you have as a highly sensitive person or as a survivor, isn't it? I've done so much work. When does it get easier? It has been the surprise of my life to learn that I possess the power all along, even when I think I didn't. Kind of like the Wizard of Oz. That to make my own life easier, and the journey has certainly not been easy, 
but that only makes this unexpected gift to myself of helping hard emotion be easier. It helps that prize be sweeter. I wanted to do Emotional Badass because I believe you deserve, you are worthy of learning how to have, how to do, and how to be easier within yourself, even when life is throwing us the difficult stuff. I promise you, if you keep at your emotional work, at your own personal development, if you keep increasing emotional intelligence, it will pay off for you, even when life doesn't feel great. And we can learn to release emotion in healthier and healthier and healthier ways that helps us move through with more ease, more swiftness, more grace for ourselves and for other people. I want you to be able to witness that growth in your own life because it's transformed mine. I want to thank those of you who take the precious time out of your day, out of your lives to get on iTunes, to write us a review. When you do that, you're really helping work that funky iTunes algorithm. You're helping other people get the show suggested. When you write a review, when you subscribe, you're really, really helping other people find the show. Every single day we get messages here at Emotional Badass that thank us for this content that say, oh my gosh, I just thought I was crazy for so long. Now I don't think I'm crazy anymore. In some ways, it is so beyond powerful to feel unalone, to just have someone name what has been unnameable for so long. I want to thank Kelster Delster who wrote a review. They said everything I never knew I needed. They thank me all. Thank you for calling me a beautiful soul. Back at you, beautiful soul. They say that the podcast has been essential to your healing and that they're about to jump on a plane before they wrote this and they're scrambling to download a bunch of episodes to listen on the plane. They say in the comment, their name is Kelsey. Thank you, Kelsey. I want to thank Marta Reno. They say, thank you. Your show is just what I needed. I've shared with my own HSP tribe. Thank you so very much. I want to thank JT Concord. They just say awesome, great stuff. Thank you so much. Super appreciate the quick review. I want to thank the person that made their name. It's going to be okay now. They say thank you. I just discovered the world of podcasting. Oh, that's amazing. That opens up a big old world, doesn't it? The thing that they wanted was someone to relate to. And they've been able to relate because of the show. They've never heard someone vibe so much with, oh, you're so very welcome. I'm so glad that what I'm putting out there is vibing with you and helping you find something that you need. I want to thank Lady Stone. They say, wow, only on episode two so far. Wow, thank you for that quick, quick review. But I'm so grateful to have found a podcast that speaks to me on such a deep level. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Lady Stone. I want to thank Juki Luna. They say, HSPN proud. Yes. Listening to your, oh, this one's going to get me. Listening to your earth shaking, cell igniting, breathtaking, tear inspiring episodes has changed my life. You've truly awoken my inner child to healing and have given me the courage to create the change, accept my traumas and forgive myself. Words fail to express the amount of gratitude I have for your light. It has guided me through some of my darkest moments. 
You are so, so very welcome. In all of my work, all of it, individual work, the boundaries course, the podcast, the things that we do on Patreon, more content coming to you as soon as we can produce it. What I want is for you to be able to internalize your own coach, your own therapist, and become the healer that you were always meant to be for your own life. We are not responsible for what happened to us when we were children. We are 100% responsible for what we do with our lives now. And I want anyone listening now and to any of the episodes to know from the tips of my toes to the very tips of the ends of my hair on my head, I believe that so much healing is possible. And that comes from someone who very much believed for a long time that my PTSD symptoms would be chronic and massive because I know that it feels like that when you're really in the thick of it. Thank you all so much. I wish you so much light and love. I'm an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets mindful. Light and love and I will see you right here next time. Bye-bye. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to Calm History dot com.